and thanks for joining us for Episode 7 of Speaking of MedTech, a podcast series from MedTech Insight on all things medical devices. I'm MedTech Insight Executive Editor Sean Schmidt. And I'm Steve Silverman, a former Compliance Director for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Device Center. I'm now head of the Silverman Group, a consultancy for industry. We're talking real-world evidence and real-world data on today's show, so buckle in. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And that's because there's just so much going on with RWE and RWD that we'll have to jam-pack this episode with all the things you need to know, including that the FDA is really pushing the RWE, RWD narrative. In its annual report just recently out, and as we reported at MedTechInsight.com, the agency's device center said real-world evidence and real-world data is playing a growing role in healthcare. You might already understand what RWE and RWD is, but if not, let's give a bit of a primer right now, Steve, for those who may not be in the know. Explain for us what these data are and give us a few examples of how they're used. First and most important, Sean, real-world data and real-world evidence are not the same, even though some people incorrectly use these terms interchangeably. Real-world data is data that relates to patient health status or healthcare delivery that comes from various sources. So, for example, real-world data sources include electronic health records, claims and billing data, or disease and device registries. Real-world evidence is different. It's clinical evidence about the use or benefits and risks of a medical device. Under certain conditions, real-world evidence can support device submissions, whether for pre-market approval, device clearance, or expanded indications for use. Put differently, real-world evidence is a subset of real-world data that, in some cases, FDA endorses for product review. All real-world evidence is real-world data. But not all real-world data is real-world evidence. Okay, so you say all real-world evidence is real-world data, but not all real-world data is real-world evidence. You have to unpack that for me a bit. Let me try to provide an example. Let's assume that we have billing information for a set of patients that billing information is going to be considered real-world data. And FDA is considering use of billing information for product evaluation, in which case at least some of that billing information would be real-world evidence. Contrast that with another data type. And, And you'll forgive me, Sean, because I'm not coming up with a particular example. But there could be other real-world data about a medical device that FDA says, no, that's not going to be appropriate for evaluation of a medical device, in which case the data would not be real-world evidence. Is it real-world data? Is it data about the device? Sure. Is it evidence that FDA would accept? No. Okay, good to have that distinction there. Absolutely. So let's talk about RWE and its relationship to clinical evidence. As I mentioned a moment ago, Sean, FDA sometimes treats real-world evidence as a kind of clinical evidence. So the obvious question is, when does FDA treat it that way? Briefly, the answer is when FDA decides that the real-world evidence has the same kind of reliability as traditional clinical evidence. 
that involves answering questions like, is the evidence reproducible? Is there a sufficiently broad patient population? Can the evidence be tracked over time? Questions like that. A key distinction, though, is that sometimes real-world evidence can be a lot easier to get than traditional clinical evidence, such as data from controlled clinical trials. And real-world evidence may avoid obstacles like costs or ethical considerations that can limit traditional clinical evidence. So real-world evidence can buttress device submissions, and it offers some distinct advantages. First, it's another data source that gives the FDA's Center for Devices and Radiological Health, or CDRH, new data points when making device decisions. Second, it's a new kind of data that in some ways better reflects patient and healthcare provider experiences. FDA doesn't typically tap into real-world device experience, and that's precisely the kind of experience that real-world evidence captures. And last, when we talk about things like registries, this is a data source that's familiar to FDA. So why the explosion of interest over the past few years in gathering and using RWE and RWD? If there's been an explosion, then Congress lit the fuse. In 2016, Congress used the 21st Century Cures Act to order FDA to study and basically adopt real-world evidence. The writing on the wall was clear. There was a strong push to add this proof to other FDA evidence types. And FDA, including CDRH, followed this lead, considering and defining situations in which real-world evidence is an acceptable information source. But as a practical matter, Real-world evidence also makes sense. It reflects where device makers, healthcare providers, and FDA are today, especially given recent technology advances. So what I mean is, before, FDA didn't really tap into market-based user experiences when deciding whether to greenlight a device. In part, that's because user information sometimes wasn't aggregated or reliable. And some of those problems persist but there are ways to minimize them. So real-world evidence, which may not have been a viable source previously, now is. And here's another important point. Real-world evidence is not just about devices. To the contrary, it crosses FDA to other medical products like drugs. In fact, Congress recently held user fee hearings with real-world evidence as a central focus. Those hearings had nothing to do with medical devices except for Congress throwing shade on FDA for not submitting its device user fee package on time. The focus instead was how FDA would continue to promote real-world evidence for drug and device submissions. Okay, let's drill down a bit further. Uh, What are the benefits for not only the FDA, but I guess also industry, in having these data? I've already talked about real-world evidence as a new and additional source of device data, so I won't bore the audience by repeating those points. I'm confident that I can find more creative ways to bore the audience. So here's a new point. Real-world evidence is often easier to collect and present than traditional clinical data. In the case of registries, for example, device makers may already be gathering this data. It's just a function of organizing and delivering it. Even claims data while not often in a device maker's possession, usually is aggregated and organized. So a device maker can leverage this data for things like expanded indications or new patient populations. No question, real-world evidence is not Willy Wonka's golden ticket. CDRH is not giving sponsors free reign to use it, especially on its own. But even so, the downsides for real-world evidence aren't that worrying. 
Sponsors are well positioned to use and modify this evidence to support device submissions. That's likely to produce new and expanded indications, which is a meaningful benefit. So how does RWE affect FDA's review of devices? Um, you know, the Device Center did say in its annual report that real-world data has been looked at during a variety of regulatory submissions, um, including PMA panel track supplements, uh, original PMAs, 510Ks, Novos, and HDEs, which are, you know, humanitarian device exemptions. Sean, what's telling is a different report that CDRH released last year, giving examples of how it used real-world evidence in medical device regulation. That report runs to about 160 pages, and it includes 90 examples, ranging from PMA approval to 510K clearance to de novo determinations, all based in part on real-world evidence. Importantly, these decisions were based in part on real-world evidence. I don't think that there's a single case where CDRH made a regulatory decision solely based on real-world evidence. And that's important, and I expect that we'll see similar patterns in the months, if not years, to come. That is, real-world evidence will be an important factor in device review, but not an exclusive factor. That's what differentiates real-world evidence from traditional clinical evidence. It doesn't stand alone. Okay, so we know what the FDA and its device center think about real-world evidence. As you would say, Steve, (laughs) they're all in. But what does industry and other stakeholders think about it? How do they use it? Um, You did speak of the benefits for industry earlier. Yeah, the view from industry is pretty positive. The bottom line remains the same as what we usually see in FDA industry interactions. Where is the business case for real-world evidence? Does real-world evidence get devices to market faster? Does it create greater certainty? How much does it cost? And FDA is beginning to answer these questions. Does real evidence get devices to market faster? Probably. Does it create greater certainty? Usually. How much does real-world evidence cost? That's unclear, and the answer changes on a device-by-device basis. Net-net, the advantages of real-world evidence are bigger than the disadvantages. The benefits to device review are measurable and the costs are manageable. Plus, there is a huge FDA-wide push for real-world evidence and a congressional imperative. Let's talk here about everyone's favorite subject, which is user fees. The Device Center's annual report, it pointed out that it's met its MEDUFA 4 commitments to advance RWE by funding the National Evaluation System for Health Technology Coordinating Center Collaborative Community, also known as NestCC. That's a mouthful. And (laughs) by leveraging RWD in lieu of mandating post-market studies. So let's talk a bit about Nest, maybe give a bit of history there. Okay, so first of all, shout out to NestCC for winning the award for the longest acronym in government history. Um, NEST is a voluntary network of collaborators, FDA, industry, academia, and others, to promote real-world evidence for device evaluation and to support CDRH decision-making. NEST was quote-unquote invented back in 2015 by a planning board at the Duke Margolis Center for Health. A year later, CDRH gave a grant for the NEST Coordinating Center 
to the Medical Device Industry Consortium, or MDIC. So we have MDIC, which is a public-private partnership backed by CDRH, hosting the Nest Coordinating Center, which is basically the brain trust for this initiative. The Coordinating Center is tasked with envisioning and pursuing initiatives to turn Nest from an idea into reality. So how does it work? There's a bunch of Nest projects underway to show the feasibility and use of real-world evidence, including proof of concept. Recent projects have gone beyond concepts, though, to actual real-world evidence generation and submission. Bottom line, Nest is a standalone program to show where real-world evidence can be used, how it can be used, limitations to be overcome, and the rules that FDA, industry, and others should play to make real-world evidence a reality. Okay, you say there are several Nest projects underway. Could you quickly highlight one or two for our listeners and maybe talk some about their impact? Sure. Nest has selected 11 demonstration projects as proof of concept for scalable approaches to evidence generation across device types and the device total product lifecycle. These projects range in size and scope, and they will inform Nest strategies as Nest builds out functions and processes for a sustainable organization. Nest has also backed test case projects reflecting diverse medical device types and data uses in pre-market and post-market settings. These test cases include projects along the 510K and pre-market approval pathways throughout the total product lifecycle. Test case concepts were solicited from stakeholders like health systems, nonprofit patient organizations, and medical device manufacturers. Interesting projects, for sure. So what impact does Nest have on RWE and maybe vice versa? Nest underpins and strengthens real-world evidence use. And there are existential questions, like what is real-world evidence? How is it developed? How does it fit with other device-related evidence that have to be answered before real-world evidence can take hold? Have these questions been fully answered? You know, Definitely not. But CDRH, industry, and others are working on answers, and Nest is the think tank that houses and drives these activities. So who pays to keep Nest up and running? Who's funding it? That's the $64,000 question, which coincidentally is exactly how much Nest costs. I'm just kidding. So far, industry has kicked in virtually all Nest funding. That's because it agreed to cover funding in the last round of user fee negotiations, Medufa 4. But the plan was always for Nest to become self-sustaining. This means that there has to be a value proposition to charge Nest users for access to it. Has Nest created that value proposition? I'm not so sure. Stakeholders have other resources to access and use real-world evidence. So what makes Nest uniquely valuable? How does it justify the costs? These and related questions need answers for Nest to have a commercial value, and I don't think that we're there yet. But I suspect that in the near term, meaning Medufa 5, we'll see some funding to keep Nest afloat. There's just no way that industry will foot this cost perpetually, but I do think that industry will give Nest a bit more runway. And Steve, speaking of Medufa 5, it's probably a good time to highlight that we did an entire Speaking of MedTech podcast on the latest user fee negotiations between FDA and industry. It was episode 5, so do check that out if you need to know the latest on Medufa. Okay, got my sales pitch out of the way. So getting back to this data, 
is everything peachy keen when it comes to RWE and RWD? Has everything been smooth sailing, or have there been any bumps in the road? You know, problems, maybe even ongoing problems? Yeah, there have been bumps in the road, but no sinkholes. We've talked about some of these problems, so I'll focus on a separate challenge, which is culture change. And by culture change, I mean, how is CDRH going to get frontline reviewers and their bosses comfortable with real-world evidence in the same way that they're comfortable with standard clinical trial data? I don't think that we're there yet. Sure, we have senior manager support for real-world evidence, but note that in CDRH's 2021 report on real-world evidence use, there's no case where it's used alone for a device decision. There's lots of reasons for that, and I suspect that one is that frontline staffers don't believe that real-world evidence is as credible as more traditional data sources. Okay, so what's being done, if anything, to address or, or fix these problems? It's about credibility, and that credibility is being built. We wouldn't have the 2021 report, which runs past 160 pages and includes 90 examples, unless CDRH was dead serious about real-world evidence. And again, this commitment is not just at the device center. Real-world evidence is a thing across FDA, and it's backed by the commissioner's office and Congress. Even the private sector is embracing real-world evidence. I've talked to consultancies, for example, that have built practice lines to advise clients how best to assemble and use this evidence. All signals are that, even in this early stage, even with gaps, and even with credibility that must be built, real-world evidence is here to stay. Okay, I think it's time to start wrapping things up. So, Steve, it seems like RWE isn't a passing fad. Yes. Real-world evidence is a big deal, it's here to stay, and we're going to see it grow. Actually, Steve, one more quick thing before we end our conversation here. Um, as you know, the White House Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, sent the draft harmonized quality system regulation back to the FDA last week after only 35 days of review. Um, obviously, the agency has been harmonizing the QSR with quality system standard ISO 1345 since early 2018. So what's to make of all this? A good sign? The OMB approval is definitely a good sign. Um, the fat lady isn't singing yet, but she is gargling Listerine and warming up. As I've said, there are many gates to run through before a final harmonized QSR is in place. OMB review is a critical step, and I think that its fast review and approval bodes well for harmonization. I suppose we'll find out soon enough, and you know it'll be interesting to see how long before the public can see that draft. And with that, we'll close out today's podcast. You can catch our next episode of Speaking of MedTech in a few weeks when our focus will be on quality. Not only device product quality, but quality as an organization-wide idea and culture, how it permeates virtually everything a device maker does. And you can check out the first six episodes of Speaking of MedTech online now at medtechinsight.com. And while you're there, listen to MedTech Insight's weekly Device Week podcast, where our journalists talk about current events in the MedTech space. And always remember, you can follow us on Twitter at MedTech underscore Insight. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>